Hi guys, uh, here again with HD, we're going to talk about our least favorite directors, the directors that we like, and uh, other random things. This this one wasn't planned out <laughs> very well. So. We'll just call it a grab bag. It's a grab bag. It's, uh, it's our second re- attempt of a uh, return. We're working out the kinks of audio stuff, all that fun stuff. The second second chance. Yeah, the second second. <laughs> Alright, so why don't you tell me some of the, the your least favorite directors and give a little bit of a reason for that. So I'm going to totally admit this is a cliche. And it's just like anywhere else. Because like I said, most directors I've found, I've usually been able to find at least some aspect they're strong in, even if it's just a cruddy movie. Like, I mean, terrible example, but like Tommy Wiseau, terrible at most things he does. And if it wasn't for the ironic fun of the room, then it, it, it would just fall into obscurity. But then you turn around and I... Um, if you've seen it, that new movie, he came out with a short series or whatever, Best Friends. Yeah. I didn't watch the second part of that, but... He didn't direct it. Honest? Oh, uh, wasn't, wasn't his friend yeah. that directed it? I think so. Okay, sorry, bad point then. <laughs> but still, I think, like Tommy Wiseau showed, he had some talent as far as if he was put in the right role in that, because I do agree with him. He put him in an awkward role, and he kills it, oh, yeah. but... If you had to held a gun to my head and say there was a director's I didn't like, it's usually the two ones that no one usually likes, and that's Michael Bay and M. Night Shyamalan. I think M. Night Shyamalan has done a couple good movies. When he's not, he had a a long gap of terrible movies, like not good movies at all, but he's done some decent stuff and. He's a decent director. Mm. Maybe his writing, it kind of, it's all about the twist. But that's why I was so worried when he was supposed to be doing, um, he was supposed to be show running the new Tales from the Crypt series. Tales from the Crypt, I heard that. For some reason I had it in my head that there was a re- the Twilight Zone remake. But yeah, I think it would be right. It's Tales from the Crypt. And um, they, I think, they canceled even trying to do it um but he was supposed to be the showrunner for it and it kind of made me worried since the only thing so re- done was good was what six cents and the unbreakable trilogy i could say those are decent movies and well tr- <laughs> are you saying trilogy just because you're counting split is one of the sequels it is the sequel it goes unbreakable, <laughs> split, and glass. I'm sorry, that was only a sequel because of that lazy ass shoehorn ending. But it, it doesn't matter. It was it was a sequel, shoehorn twist or not. <laughs> but it was a good movie. Uh, oh yeah, I mean, I guess it technically was a sequel, and. Honestly, you brought up a point because when you're mentioning he had a long gap, and I'm like, I really couldn't come to mind anything he did really well. But I'll admit, 
um, I really like Split. I really did. But um, what I was going to say is, like, I think his good movies were just riding on the pigtails of um, better actors. And that's why I feel like he usually chooses, like, not only star power, but generally good actors for a thing. Like, Lady in the Water, Paul uh, Giannavi. Giamatti. Giamatti. Ah, slaughter that guy's name every time. Oh, Love him as an actor. <laughs> you want to know a yeah. name we're going to slaughter? Huh? The director for The Lobster. Okay, I haven't even actually looked up the director yet. I was going to watch it through and then go through the IMDP page and all this uh, different forums and learn about it. But Just wait until you see his name. Okay, I'll, I'll hold off for tomorrow when we record that one. <laughs> and I want to I wanna take a jab at it unfiltered. I'm not even going to attempt it until we get recording just so I can prove my incompetency. <laughs> yeah. But Giamatti, yeah. He's a good actor. Amazing actor. And I'm not going to lie. If you look at all, if you look past all the uh, many, many uh, questionable choices of Lady in the Water, um, he wasn't bad in that considering what he had to work with. Like, he generally gave it his all. I mean, you could tell that was the same reason he was trying to cast Mel Gibson in Signs and Mark Wahlberg and. in the happening, Mark Wahlberg kind of just gave, you know, yeah, the half-ass. I don't know. I mean. The Lady in the Water but, could have been a good movie. I I hold on to that it could have been good. I mean, I, I get... I mean, I guess I kind of get what maybe he was going for, like a fairy tale thing, but, like, he... He threw so much world at us without giving us a reason to really give a fuck. <laughs> but I think I can understand what you mean. I just... If you're going to throw that many supernatural elements in, you, just give us a, a better reason why than just because a bunch of ancient people said so. Be Guillermo del Toro. The what? Or be Guillermo del Toro. Oh, well, I mean, because he, he yeah, could do no wrong. He can create a world, yeah. like you're just like, all right, this is cool. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure he could do a shot-for-shot remake of you know, like, uh, uh, dang, what was that uh, Italian director, um, Lucio Folli or what? Lucio, Lucio Folli, Lucio. Fulci, yeah. He could probably do a shot-for-shot remake of that movie, and it would win an Oscar, of any of his movies, and it would probably win an Oscar. Which which Fulci movie, though? Like, Zombie? Does it matter? No, I was talking... I always forget the name, the fucking one with, like... It has a kid who sounds, I swear to God, like a woman, because, like, the dubbing was terrible. terrible. Bob, Bob. The kid was named Bob. And it was, uh, I want, I keep, my brain keeps wanting to say like House on Haunted Hill, but it's not House on Haunted Hill. New York River or something? No. God, it's going to drive me nuts, but it was like supposed to be part of this real, the Fuchel, Fuchel, what's his last name? Sorry. Fulci. Fulci trilogy where it's like the 
first one is like they ended up in the house house by the cemetery thank you geez that was driving me nuts and then the second uh, one is the beyond was it the beyond yeah. i thought that was i will give him this one thing for the for him doing a b like b movies his gore was not bad for the 80s no. i mean it wasn't realistic but it was definitely freaky it was awesome it still is awesome i watch that shit all the time uh, I, the, I love his I love his movies just for how god awful they are I would admit that but I was only bringing him up because obviously those movies would never win an Oscar and there are a few directors who could probably get those to be Oscar worthy I'm sure right but to go back to M. Night Shyamalan um my big thing is most people bring up Unbreakable or or um, or Six uh, Sense. Sense. Be, but I really do think a lot of what made those movies good was Bruce Willis. And I say this not because he really did his best in those movies, but there's something about Bruce Willis that even if he's in a cruddy role, just how he holds himself and everything, yeah. it was it, it it makes the character more a little bit more believable. He has that like determination, but not like over the top. Like a lot of people didn't like Cop Out, and I thought Cop Out was okay, mostly because it was cool to see like Bruce Willis try to uh, make Tracy Morgan funny. <laughs> I could agree with you on the um, maybe Unbreakable was so good because of um, the performance from Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. I don't think that would work for a sixth sense. I think what makes that movie good is because you don't see the twist coming. Because after the movie, after you watch it once, it doesn't matter how good. Um, Bruce Willis is you just like or maybe after you watch it twice because after you watch it the first time you find out the twist and then the second time you notice how no one actually sees him and you actually notice it more and then it the movie doesn't really matter but those two times yeah. you watch it I don't think but after that if it was because of his performance it would be good for rewatch 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 Oh, no, see, this is, um, I mean, I agree with you, I do, because you do make up a good point that when you rewatch a Sixth Sense, it is really cool to see, like, all the people's not reacting to him and stuff, but I still got to go back to what I was saying with Bruce Willis, is he he's really good at making a kind of stone-faced performance a lot of times believable and engaging, and if it wasn't for him acting that way, you wouldn't believe his like marriage was such a shambles that his wife just refused to talk to him because of the shooting and um, or because of the guy that he killed or whatever. Uh, and you wouldn't believe that so many people ignored him because he did give that really like I'm, I'm a fucking broken dude, but I'm still doing my job to help this kid. And because he's so screwed up about it and because he was able to to maintain that 
like um, stone face, but empathetic kind of personality. Like he's going through such a hard mental state. It made it a lot more believable that, yeah. And he just doesn't want to engage with anyone. He was, he's fucked. He's fucked up because his wife is being a dick to him. And then, like you said, you rewatch it and you're like, Oh shit. Like I I didn't see that. That one movie, I think it, was firing on all cylinders though like that one movie if he only made that one movie you would like oh, yeah. the director <laughs> that's all i'm saying oh like, yeah it was it's well written well directed and the acting is spot on oh yeah i i'll admit yeah that is really good it's just it's hard for me to say that like like i said with other actors they find little gems here and there aspects but when you have like one great movie, which The Sixth Sense was, and Unbreakable was a really good movie. I wouldn't say that it's as good as Sixth Sense, but definitely up there. And then you have that many just... Duds. It, duds, yeah. It kind of stops feeling like he was a good director and maybe he just lucked out, you know? Yeah. But again, I can't... <laughs> I can't criticize anyone. I'm not a professional director. That stuff has got to be hard. But at the same time, yeah, he kind of on it. should be able to share them. So <laughs> that's all what criticizing is. I get it. I do. It's just when I'm comparing him to other directors who do screw up on certain things and like here and there, but they still consistently put out good work here and there then it's hard for me to believe that maybe he just is a terrible writer and director and occasionally lucks out with a, a framing device or uh, another writer that did it really well, you know, like split. It was amazing, but I think it was, I don't think it was amazing because it necessarily got all the right camera angles and, I think the therapist in that was M. Night Shyamalan, the motherfucker up. Like, she was kind of cheesy with some of her line delivery and stuff. And, but the actor in that, that, he was able to play all those characters and change his body shape, like, posture. Uh, That was amazing. And again, it just reinforces my personal theory that it's, maybe he just lucked out with some of the good actors and stuff. Who actually decided to care under like unlike Mark Wahlberg? What? No. <laughs> uh, that movie was like the village wasn't terrible, but it was like the start of the decline. You know, the village was almost good. Yeah, I, and a lot of people hate me for that. It's one of those movies that everyone hates. That I actually, if if you just watch it up until I don't want to say watch it up and cut out the end because I don't mind the twist and it. it's just that twist could have been a lot better. Like it would be the concept's cool. Like a town that has been cut off from society. Just, I don't know. It, it felt so again, shoehorned in there. Yeah. It's not as um, laid out as like the sixth sense was. Because after knowing the twist in the Sixth Sense, you're able to actually go back and see how it was building up to that twist. 
Yeah. See, what they could have done, I mean, just putting my idea out there is they should have added more like things where you'd see like air, you know, like airplanes in the sky and stuff and shoot it like the jet stream or something. Cause it's sometimes hard to see that in real life that what the airplane looks like cause it's so high up there and they're in the middle of nowhere. So more than likely airplanes aren't going to land, but instead of it being filmed, like, Oh, there's an airplane in the background or something, make it. So those are the supernatural elements that village leaders are like tricking people into saying like demons are flying around or, and really, really make it convincing so that way, like the sixth sense, when you figure out what the twist is, you can go back to the movie and see, oh, it's an airplane, or kind of, oh, like a kind of like you guys yeah. are sinning, and the supernatural element is going to send an asteroid down, so it's kind of making markings in the send a meteor <laughs> down. Exactly, and you could you could really make just something simple like a the jet stream and stuff look terrifying with certain camera angles and maybe even filters or something make it look uncomfortable not in a way that you're editing it to look differently but kind of like a pov thing like somebody would look at that not knowing what it is and their you know their image of it would change it would look more scary look more dramatic than me or you just doing that so you can use film it being a visual medium to express like how freaky that would look say like um not to rant too much but like um i believe i heard about this island uh, that's still around today where people don't they don't know about normal civilization and stuff in fact whenever anyone goes there they attack people because um back in the day the british would how they would introduce the tribes to civilization is they would go find individual tribes, kidnap somebody from them, bring them to civilization and give them all these luxuries and then bring them back. And, um, this particular to show them what modern life, what modern life then was like and how it improved things. Um, with this particular tribe, the British went and like kidnapped somebody to do it, but the person ended up dying on the way back to Britain. So now the village has gone down and seen this. All they know of like the outside world is this gigantic ship brought these weird looking people and they kidnapped somebody and never brought them back. And is that the island where the, um, the missionary was killed? I'm not sure if we're referring to the same thing, well, there was but it could be an island where they haven't been. Um around civilization like every and the guy was trying to convert him and they're like no we don't want this and they sent him on his way well he came back and they're like no we don't want this next time he came they just killed him i think i'm i think i might be referring to something else but that's also depressingly hysterical that's that's awful but yeah same thing with the with that reference too though like you could for (coughs) excuse me for like a a movie where you're filming you you're filming about a village is cut off from society why society as we know is functioning around them i 
you could have a lot of fun with that concept and it was just weird they're like oh we're just gonna make the village leaders dress up like monsters to scare people they wouldn't need to dress up like monsters just fucking freak them out about like little things that are coming from the outside world you know yeah that's true Let's say, like, ooh, you know what would be cool? Someone goes into the forest, finds someone's lost cell phone, and the village leaders are, like, convincing them it's a demon, demon tablet or, or like, something, the thing, and they, like, use the phone to show, like, demonic images and stuff to trick people or well, or something like that, you know? You wouldn't be able to keep the audience in suspense because we wouldn't know okay. what the phone would look like. Yeah, I mean, that's a bad example. You're right. Um I mean, even like uh, I don't know. You'd ha- you could you could still get clever with it with the writing. Yeah, I mean, maybe explode like a car, like a um, like maybe a plane and crash explodes. Yeah, but it crashes outside of the island or the mm-hmm. outside of the village, so they don't actually see the crash all they see is the yeah that or i mean you don't have to make it a, a, a political message or anything but it does happen like uh, uh what's it called um where you cut down big massive lands of trees and you never grow them back it's like a big issue oh. or like a, like yeah some logging company comes in and just clears out a thing of forest and again you don't have to make a political if you don't want to but it would still be freaking terrifying to these people who have no idea what could possibly just rip down that many that trees and it could be something you hide you don't have to tell people people are convinced that you're doing a period piece you know yeah or like um that village was they they found they put out like a giant fire, like right before the village. Mm-hmm. So like if they go into the woods, all they see is all this burnt down forest. That'd be cool, and they're definitely like using like spiritual beliefs and stuff to keep people into thinking that it's demons and stuff. And that would be a better deterrent than what they were trying to do. Like, oh, we're gonna throw on costumes and sit in the forest going oogie boogie boogie right <laughs> I don't know but I don't do did, I forgot did the elders know that there was an outside world it's been a while since I've uh, watched it it's been like a year or so but I do remember the dad of the blind chick being like aware of it and then that was the reason that they were putting on the costumes to keep people from leaving was because they knew that like they wanted to hold on to the values and such i don't think all of them knew i think um like on this like few right it was just like the i know the dad knew for sure and i believe there was a couple of like the leaders that were in on it um they were the ones that's why there was more than one monster Mm -hmm. but i could be wrong it could be just the dad knew and that the other ones were just following along with his plan. That's why he sent his daughter out to find help. Mm. Because 
he was dying. <laughs> I think those ideas would have made the village a lot better. Yeah. I know hindsight's twenty twenty though. Yeah. I I the reason I have an issue with like a, a lot of M Night Shyamalan is because one, yeah, he does botch up a lot of movies, but it's just for that same reason. Like his movies I, I'll admit are always at least a good idea. Mm-hmm. Like the idea of that one, the elevator movie he did, the freaking... No, he didn't do that. He just um, produced it, I think. Produced it? Oh, he didn't direct it? Okay, that shows my ignorance on that. Um, either way, though, I mean, like, even that would have been better if... It's a good concept of being, like, trapped in an elevator with a demon. Um, and signs, too. Signs was an amazing concept that the concept of not showing the aliens and I mean, aside from the for video thing and then showing more that the struggle is the paranoia of the aliens than actually interacting with them for these people. It's just, I, I don't know. It, it feels like it got a little too, yeah. uh, it, it got a little too, uh, I guess cartoonish for me. Yeah, yeah, I I like the concept of like the whole spirituality and the mom seeing what's going to happen and stuff. But you know, aside from that moment in the movie, it didn't really have any hint that it was a spiritual movie. It had a hint that there was a priest who lost faith, but that's still really grounded in reality. I mean, a a priest in real life could, you know, lose his faith if something happened to him. But I, I just, unless you, you can't have aliens and then try to put in a spiritual thing because aliens, at least the, the way we depict them aren't, are a little bit more fantasy than reality. And, so to add that element to me is like I'm going to add Merlin the Wizard and Satan in the same movie where, you know, that sounds like a fun idea in a Sharknado kind of way, but <laughs> yeah, it just, I don't know. It, it, maybe it's a nitpick. Uh, um, but, going back to that devil movie, devil is the one that's in the elevator. Okay, that's gonna bother me. Who actually directed that? No, but there's a movie that recently came out that instead of a devil, people are stuck in the elevator. Was one person has COVID? <laughs> it's not. <laughs> oh my god, it's, it's a bad movie. <laughs> I mean, we've only had COVID for about a year, so that shows you the production time they had. I mean, it's only been popular for about a year. Well, COVID or the Corona zombies or whatever, that came out quick. But those are different movies edited together, so. Yeah, and it was also, it took like a week to make. They just found two hot friends, filmed a framing device, and then ripped off a a, a zombie. 
was that zombie? Bruno Mattei's zombie, right? Or uh, I know that movie has like six zombie, different names. But um, I think the one that they ripped off is uh, the one that they I, edited in is a Bruno Mattei movie. I forgot which one it is. So. Which already had because I did watch that movie and it already had like really cheesy B movie jokes in it. So like I'll admit I didn't watch Corona Zombies. I did watch a review through it, but every scene I did see, it was uh, it's like the jokes they dubbed over the already dubbed voices were worse than what the jokes that came out with in the original B movie. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> And then, didn't the same people like release Murder Hornets like, a couple weeks later? Oh, I think a couple weeks later, the Coronavirus 2, or Corona Zombies 2 came out. I swear they did like a did Murder Hornets movie. one. Yeah. I don't know if it's the same people, though. Because the Corona zom- Zombies is um, full moon. So Charles Band, I don't know who did the Mortar Hornets. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not finding anything on that. I was trying to figure out um, who they were. I know they like made their own website just so they can sell the film. Corona. Chrono Zombies, yeah, it was like a really release. Oh, sorry, they released it on like a website they made, and then it kind of just circulated from there. But they didn't even like get anyone to distribute the movie in some kind of way. <laughs> they just made their own website and started selling it off of it. What kind of marketing do you need for that? All you have to do is say Corona Zombies, and I don't know. People are going to want to see it. Hire a bunch of your friends to search it on Google a bunch of times so Google finds it relevant. <laughs> yeah. I was, uh, I was trying to find a director to this, but I guess uh, I'm going to waste time doing it. I will say one movie I did see, and it's a little off topic, that I watched when I was a kid and I thought was kind of stupid, but then I rewatched it and it's actually pretty good, is uh, Sister Act. I I forgot how actual decent that movie is for just a live-action Disney movie. Sister Act? It sounds stupid, but like... You watch through it, and if you listen to some of the jokes and the stuff, it's well written. Like, I cracked up that one lady where she's like, she's talking about, um, she's talking about, uh, her, <laughs> she was talking about how she, she went on a mission and there was no water, no shoes, no anything. It was all cold and stuff. And she's like, how was that? Or the other nun's like, how was that? And she just turns to her. She's like, it was hell on earth. It was hell on earth. I loved every moment of it. <laughs> it was Oh, I, I couldn't stop laughing at that. And I'm not going to say it's Oscar gold or it's not even a good movie by most movie standards, but I've gotten to like not care so much for like a certain generation of Disney live action movies that it kind of stands out a little bit. Sister Act's a Disney movie? Yeah. Huh. 
the Whoopi Goldberg one. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, actually, um, saying anything with Whoopi Goldberg in it is good. Is quite. I kind of I well I mean aside from the ninja, I forgot she was in that. <laughs> The Michael Bay Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah, that one sucks. <laughs> yeah, <it> sucks. <sighs> yeah, no, I... Nah. Oh, back to directors. And I also don't like Michael Bay for the same... Um... So, yeah, it's um, like... I liked uh, like John Woo, like Face Off, that kind of thing. Uh, I, I love those, just like Con Air and those those testosterone cheese movies. It's not that about Michael Bay movies. I don't I don't mind. I think sometimes just a good just man fest kind of movies just sometimes right up the alley. But what I don't like about it is. He tries so hard to not care and still make a budget or money off of it. And it's almost worse when you could tell he is trying to make a good movie. Because there's certain parts of even Transformers or remakes or Ninja Turtles or things where you could try tell he's trying to make a good point and trying to make a statement, but it just feels like your racist uncle who says something and you're trying so hard not to tell him he's racist. <laughs> oh, he, <laughs> just, he makes really like pretty movies. Like Transformers oh. movies themselves suck. But the special effects are they're pretty good. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I want to necessarily give him all the credit for that because no, I'm not saying know. him. I'm saying the movies themselves. Okay, like, the movies yeah, junk. But he's able to direct like um, and like make, and make some very pretty moving pictures. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, if you watch his movies on mute, then they're pretty decent. <laughs> but I, I will admit that's one thing about the Transformers movie I didn't really get into after all of them because they're just kind of reskinned but um, the one thing he did do right is it's like that transformation feature and stuff I really don't know if there was another director that might be able to pull that off as well I mean as much as people don't like, like Zach or Zach Snyder the guy who did uh, yeah he might have been able to but Maybe, maybe even George Lucas could if he actually stopped messing up good things. Uh, George Lucas isn't that great of a director. I, I I know, but he also has a habit of attracting really good special effects. Like or at least people who go into it, because like it looks really good on a CGI resume to say that you worked with Lucas Films because of how big Star Wars originally was, you know. 
and when I say big, it was just astonishingly big. Like it was crazy to see like that massive amount of movies. And it's like I said before, as much as people don't like the last Star Wars that came out, if you if you take a vision of like the or look at the fight scenes of start like when the Star Destroyers are coming in and the different space battles and such. Mm-hmm. They're actually really good. I just don't think anyone ever brings them up because they're too busy complaining about lore and stuff. Um, too busy complaining that Ray is a Mary Sue. Oh, don't get me wrong. It's not like I don't disagree with them, but they're still complaining. Yeah. Just, yeah. She's not that bad of a character. I tried to rationalize why she's so good at things and I think she's just been using the force before she knew she could use the force. She was by herself her entire childhood and had to do dangerous things to survive and she probably inadvertently used the force. So once she realized that she could actually use the force, she's like she's been doing it this entire time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I'll admit I can see how like those things are are true that met, like people really get into the lore and and it it messes with people who like follow this universe who really likes the concept of you know how much effort the extended backstories to it have been and and the good parts of the movies and such. I I think what I guess I watched it is I've always just watch Star Wars for what it was originally intended to be and it's just a space opera it, I, it has amazing music it has r- really cheesy drama like an opera does and it it has a, 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 a three act structure that is meant to build into a, a romantic idea of a, of a universe that you're not part of. And that's what a space opera does. Rock operas, all these different things. It's never really been the point to focus on a lore, but these movies were so big and all this backstory came and and it just added impossible standards to what was originally kind of a simple thought. Yeah. Well, at least the first, the first one and then what you have People say he had everything planned out from the beginning. I don't believe that because he almost made Lugan lay a fuck. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Eventually, you want... It's like how much... Um, um, the whole Luke, I'm your father thing, or um, not Luke, I'm your father, I am your father... Sorry, Mendigo. Or, yeah, Mendigo. Mendel. <laughs> um, uh, it was... that. I, from what I remember hearing about it is one part of the story is George Lucas is going to say you've thought of it all the time, but it was originally not even the actors knew that was going to be a thing. Mm-hmm. And... I want to say it's impossible for just George Lucas to say he always thought of it, but decided to throw it in there at the end, at last moment to put like to try to sequel bait. Well, it's just like he almost had Luke and Leia fuck, which then all of a sudden there's siblings. 
I understand yeah. that could happen. But, I don't know, I think these movies are just full of incest and lies. And I was hoping that um, Ray would have been um, Luke and Leia's child from the, the original Death Star. So when she fucks yeah. up Kylo Ren, she's she's fucking half <laughs> brothers. Yeah, no, let's do that. Full yeah. circle. <laughs> um. Oh, that's that's no. Subscribe. Re- rewrite Star Wars. Let's make some incest. <laughs> well, it was already there. Like. Like like George Lucas always intended. Yeah. <laughs> like that's that's part of the reason too. I really enjoyed Rogue One is because again, just like the rest of the Star the Star Wars, I don't think none of them were masterpieces. I mean, Empire Strikes Back, I agree with you, is pretty decent. It's probably the better of the. In my opinion, it's. Yeah, it's probably the best Star Wars movie if you want to, if you really want to consider everything. But I still loved Rogue One because I, it it fell it fell back into that space opera thing for me. Except it was a war story. Hmm? It was a really well made movie, though. Oh yeah, it was real made, well made. But the, I, if the guy who directed that did the the Godzilla. From 2016. Which one? The the legendary the, Godzilla, but the one that they're continuing with. Okay, because I don't remember if it was the same year or not, but I know Japan, a uh, Japanese filmmaker, came out with a newer Godzilla movie where he actually kicks the shit out of the one from Godzilla 2000, which I thought was hilarious. Oh, that's Final Wars. That was before this. Final Wars. Okay, I, I couldn't remember if that came out before that or... Because it was relatively new, if I remember. I mean, compared to the other Japanese Godzilla movies. Well, now we got Shin Godzilla, which I really like my Godzilla movie. Was that... I thought that was the one I was talking about. Isn't that another one where he fights all the other Godzillas? No, that's Final Wars. Okay, yeah, so that'll... I would confuse the two then. Shin Godzilla is the newest one where he looks all fucked up and he has three different forms. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I remember. I That drove me nuts. That, I liked it. I mean, but like I said, I would still give it a chance, but I did, like when I seen previews of that, I would, it kind of threw me off a little bit. I think I got the same Star Wars nerd where I'm like, that's not the way you're supposed to look. <laughs> Oh, the story itself works pretty well. I'm definitely going to check that out. I've seen a preview for it, and then I was going to watch it, and then I got distracted and never did. I'm like, the best Star Wars movie wasn't even directed by Lucas. Empire Strikes Back, right? I don't think um, Jedi was directed by Lucas either, though. Um. Lucas only did one, two, three, and four. Yeah. Okay, that's right. Which technically Which... is.
in release date, it's like um four, five, six. Yeah, that's right. Because it's um, it's New Hope was technically the fourth one. Yeah, I don't know. Like, see, that's the thing. I, I had, I I went to the new Star Wars movies, like I've said before, with no expectations and no links. And if if you just watch them and you enjoy the little things about them, they're not god awful movies. But I will admit they did kind of just take a dump on like hardcore fans who that back lore and such is really important to them. All the but. The, um, extended universe. Yeah, but it didn't bother. It didn't bother me so much that Evil Dead Two was basically just a action version of Evil Dead One. So I went to the second one, enjoying it more than the first because it was so different. And well, actually, at uh, the beginning of that movie, when he goes there with his like girlfriend and stuff, that's kind of just a recap of the first movie with different actors. Oh, yeah, but still, it it it, re- it in a way, retcons the first movie. Yeah, in a way. I mean, I always <laughs> I always simplify and say that it's actually full-blown sequel, but like right after the Deadite gets him at the, the didn't they name, no, Gurney was the long neck from Jurassic Park. I thought they named the camera dead eye something special in that movie i can't remember what it was but at the end where it gets him spoiler alert i don't know if i need to say that about evil dead but <laughs> um back in time I, I wasn't even saying back in time i like the concept that maybe the first movie is afterwards and it's him going dealing with the dead eye in his head reliving the memory that's why he's more of the hero because it's an ego thing around when in the first one he was kind of just a pushover and then that insanity drove him further into uh the other movies that that that's why he's a little bit more over the top and a little bit more insane and even in uh the show what was it Ash versus the Evil Dead. That was a good show, though. That was a good show. I'm just kind of sad it didn't get more seasons, but... Do you have another director you want to mention on your list of least favorites actually actually no i've I've been talking about mine this entire time i was actually kind of curious what would you say is the most unforgivable director i don't like the one you don't like yeah one of my least favorite and it sucks because i do like a couple of his movies like he has made like one or two good movies so before mm-hmm. I say who it is, I would like to put it out there that I do enjoy, like, maybe, I think he's only put out, like, three good movies. Tim Burton. Okay, you got me, you got me hooked. <laughs> Tim Burton. Tim Burton. 
I just as as a director, I can't disagree with you. But like he's made three good movies. Like I liked um, Beetlejuice. I could. That's a good movie. Yeah, Beetlejuice. Is, yeah, yeah. Um, I can't see anything wrong. I did like the Sleepy Hollow movie. Yeah, it was a good callback to a lot of cheeseball horror it was a movies. Good callback to the Hammer horror films, and I dig those. So, mm-hmm. and then I did like Big Fish. Big Fish. Well, I mean, I, I'm not going to try to change your opinion or anything. Did he? I might be wrong on this. Did he did he direct Edward Scissorhands? Yes, he did. You didn't care for Edward Scissorhands? Dude, you have to like that movie by default. It's Vincent Price's last movie. It's not a reason to like it. I like Vincent Price, and I'll watch any other movie that you have. Uh, okay, I will respectfully disagree, because I thought, I thought there was a pretty cool commentary in Edward Scissorhands. Uh, and the art style of... Uh, like the house and stuff that where I can agree. I don't think Tim Burton's the best director all the time. He is a pretty good artist. Like his set designs and stuff are pretty captivating. All right. You say the set designs and that. Yeah. But like still don't like the movie. And I think he did it better in like Beetlejuice. Yeah, I suppose. And I guess Edward Scissorhands, I wouldn't say, is the most well-defined character that he's come up with. But... I would say um, the Batman movie, but it's really not that great. It just, I think I look at it with nostalgia glasses. Um, well, I mean, I like, I still, uh, um, uh, people will talk right on the Batman movie, or the old Batman movies, but I still love, love, love them. Um, mostly because, one, I loved his style, and he was going for more, because Batman back then was still considered pretty comic booky, mm-hmm. And so the, the tight set designs and the and the little bit of cheeseball acting, it, it, it was fitting for what people considered comic book movies back then. And let's face it, some of his choices for the villains weren't terrible oh, choices back the then. Like, and the look of God. Like Danny, Danny DeVito as the Penguin is still one of the best like acting choices I've ever seen. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like his the um, the actors and the set design. I think those are the best parts of the movie. Like it's not really the story or how it's just the actors and I think that's the only reason why I really like him because I do like seeing Jack Nicholson as the Joker (laughs) but the movie itself I'm basically only watching it to see the Joker like dancing to Prince music and drawing on artwork yeah, I, which wasn't again. I mean, now that we've seen like pretty okay, um, Batman movies, it, it definitely by comparison you could tell like, oh man, I kind of spoiled with these newer ones. But I don't really you know, like, so. 
I mean, like the Dark Knight and such. It, yeah, it was a more grounded approach, but I still like every time I compare like Jack Nicholson's Joker, people always like, oh no, he was never that good. Blah blah blah. And I was like, well, I mean, if you look at him like the one of the older Jokers, where he was more mafia style and he was more like that, he did it perfect. He, you know, I I thought it was the makeup was a little cheesy, but. Well, that and the, um, I liked Michelle Pfeiffer as um, Catwoman, and I liked how, mm-hmm. like, was how they was it Michelle Pfeiffer? Was it Mich- Sorry, not to interrupt, but was it Michelle Pfeiffer that was literally stalking him for that role, or was that a different? I don't know. Yeah. But I think her and Danny DeVito playing off of each other was like the best part of. Um, returns mm-hmm. and yeah the scene the christmas um scene where batman blows up the guy but that whole like fight sequence mm-hmm. is fun to watch oh but, yeah but they're not I, I, I don't think they're good movies altogether. i think they're like there's bits and pieces that are good that make you want to watch the movie but the movie itself Isn't that great? I agree. That's why I didn't want to put it in the list of good movies that I feel that he's actually made. Okay, yeah, maybe I'm thinking too, like, broad on the film. I should be more... I can definitely see maybe his directing was a little bit off on that, on, like, Edward Scissorhands and such. I will admit something that will probably get you to disown me. At least it would most people. (laughs) And I will probably admit it's mostly through nostalgia goggles, but I still love Mars Attacks. (laughs) It's one of those movies that everybody hates that I'm absolutely in love with. I don't know what it is about it, but just how it, it falls in the same category as like the room, but I, I pray that it was purposely bad. I really do. I never want to learn that that movie was generally supposed to be good, like Mars Attacks, because if you look at it for like one of those so bad it's good kind of standpoints, it, it's low key hilarious. Yeah, I love it's it. Funny, right? I think I rewatched it once since I've been an adult. And see, like. I love everyone's biggest complaints is how can you have that many really big named actors, even though Jack Black wasn't a big name actor at that time, but most everybody in that movie was a pretty popular actor. And they're like, how can you do all that and not make any of the characters super like interesting? Like you didn't, but if you remember a lot of the B horror movies from back like the fifties and all these different things, they would cast these really, really well-known actors to get people in the seats and then it was just nothing but uh, nothing but oh we have this cool special effect and we're going to show it because it's a it's a supernatural like space movie you know not every movie back then was the day the earth stood still it, a lot of the alien movies were really over the top and they were a lot more focused on trying to make these cheesy aliens look real yeah, than and it goes back to a lot of people don't know um, Sleepy Hollow was the uh, a tribute to the 
Hammerstein f- films. Uh, 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 sorry. Um, yeah, like the um, Christopher, not Christopher Lloyd. Um, don't tell me. Um, Want me to tell you? Yeah, tell me, please. Lee. Thank you. Christopher Lee, um, vampire movies and, and such. Peter I, yeah, Peter Cushing, too. Um, I, I, if you remember, Sleepy Hollow, if I recall right, wasn't released too far off of when Mars or Mars attacks. And he never expressed that Sleepy Hollow was supposed to be a call into that. He just filmed it that way. And so that's why I come up with a theory. Maybe Mars Attack was just again a callback to all those little tropes from cheesy fifty horror like alien movies that he maybe grew up on. Now I will say I do like uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, but he didn't direct that. That's a Henry Selleck flick. Oh yeah, there's a reason I didn't bring that up. I I, I Tim Burton. I will I will argue he. I love his art and everything, but whenever someone's like, I like Nightmare Before Christmas, it's like he kind of did a few sketches and stuff for it. Was it a poem? I thought he also did some of the set designs and such. He did a little bit of art, and then um, he wrote a poem that it was based on. The poem is not that great. Like, I wouldn't read it. (laughs) Like, I wouldn't go out of my way to, like, read it again. It's not like Dr. Seuss or anything where you can pick up a Dr. Seuss book and go, ooh, I still like this. <laughs> oh. Well, I mean, it's it, it makes sense because, you know, they took a cruddy Tim Burton poem and made it into a decent movie, and Hollywood has been desperately trying to take Dr. Seuss's work and wipe their ass with it as firmly as they possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> and completely eliminate all substance to his messages. Oh, <laughs> what was the newest? What was the newest one they did? Oh, the Grinch. Grinch. I refuse oh, to watch they, that. I like went to go see it in oh. theaters. I like Cumberbatch, but um, I heard he wasn't amazing in it. We went to go see it in theaters. It's pretty bad. <sighs> Which I feel bad because um, I think that's the de- um, directorial debut of um, Scott Mosier. Really? Or well, maybe not direct, but he directed it. Huh. I, how... I still don't get how Dr. Seuss is so easy to screw up. Like, I get these books that are short and they're trying to make a freaking two-hour movie based off of it, but you could, with a visual medium like that, you could, you could make it work. You could make it work. Take some of the um, meaning of the rhymes that Dr. Seuss was using to cultivate imagination in children and use that in a physical, like, express, expression kind of way. Like, show it. Show the emotion behind the, the Lorax and the, if you, if you over, 
if you overdo a good thing, you'll destroy the world around you kind of thing. You could really emotionally drive that point home and even add some time to your movie without just like putting in a pop song so you fucking date yourself or <laughs> I think um, with Dr. Seuss it would have to be done in the style of the books because the artwork is like it should be Agree. Like that, not the CGI crap that it is no animate it I, I actually uh, I think that Jim Carrey uh, Grinch there, it, was, it wasn't good it was better than <laughs> but Oh yeah, oh yeah, and it's because the Grinch. You could film it at night, so that studio look looked more natural because it was claustrophobic, like studio work usually is, and the set designs were creative. the The buildings, the settings of it all, and I mean, obviously, like every other movie, I don't like. There's better parts they can do with it, but you know, it looked like a live-action Dr. Seuss movie. It, I, I was believable that the goofy-ass in-proportion drawings could look like that in real life. But I agree with you. If you're going to do a Dr. Seuss movie and you want to do it perfect and right, yeah, yeah, it has to be cartoon. It has to be animated. Well, I think and, you can mix um, animation and live action, but it can't be that CGI stuff that they've been doing. I think yeah, it's like that um, it, Disney show. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, if you do it like, um, let's say, uh, Roger Rabbit, how they combine the live action and... Um, mm. Now, it'd be kind of like that. So I'm going to pitch a Dr. Seuss movie now. Ooh. So... The split between um, animation and um, live action will be like the like um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit movie, but the story itself mm-hmm. would be kind of like the um, the Goosebumps movies that have been coming out and um, um, scary stories. So it's not actually following one story. It's actually like an entire, every story is being referenced. And you could have the stupid, like, kid wanders into Seuss land or whatever. And the Lorax will be there talking for the trees. So it'd be, yeah, mix that and just create like an Alice in Wonderland type world for Dr. Seuss, where somebody from the outside world will like James in the giant peach style enter the okay world. yeah no I actually really like that you can even um, and you can even maintain the whole like always rhyming kind of thing with the Dr. Seuss characters and it wouldn't get redundant in a feature length film yeah no that's a I like that concept I, I was imagining like maybe doing that like where you uh, do hand hand animation over uh, live actors, kind of like oh, Scanner Darkly, or yeah. But I do like that Roger Rabbit thing. But I was thinking that would be a good uh, concept if you want to just introduce the Doctor Seuss world in general, and especially since his books are usually so short, 
you could have the different stories kind of intertwine as he's trying to make his way through. That's what I was thinking because it became yeah. like Alice in Wonderland. How Alice goes through and she'll meet like the, the Mad Hatter. And that would be the story itself. But in this, like, the character would meet the Lorax. And he will help oh. the Lorax and all the animals like convince the one slur to stop being a dick. And you know what you could do is you can even add like an extra message, kind of like, um, I don't know if you liked it, but the new Winnie, um, the new Winnie the Pooh movie, I, I personally thought it was really well done. Christopher Robbing. Yeah. Where it's like an adult trying to, uh, figure out and remember what being a kid was like and all this stuff where I love that because they, they could add a little bit more of a story and a little bit more linear of a past where Winnie the Pooh never really cared about having, it was kind of like he's here and then this happens, it stops and then this happens and it stops. But they did really good to turn it into a live action because it was that world still exists, but here's a more serious linear story outside of it and with dr seuss where his passion for um believing that you can teach kids he was like um you can teach kids anything kids are smart enough to know anything you just have to introduce it to them in the right way and that could be a really good driving point for the plot of like a character who's lost touch of that lost touch with his children lost touch with these different things and he gets introduced to that world and going through the stories as they progress, as like tributes the actual book stories, using those lessons to come to an epiphany for the adult. So when he comes out of the world, he could. It, it, it's a moral. It leads to a good what moral if, on that. What and if that's really, like a sequel? What if the first movie is him as a kid, and he finds this world, and then. Mm. Later on, he'll like visit the world a lot throughout his childhood until about teenage years. Until well, he's starting to get into other things, and he's starting to believe that yeah that was just a part of his imagination. So he doesn't go back. And he like loses touch with it, adult, you know. He has kids and of his own, and like you were saying. And that would be like the sequel, like after the end of that, the first movie would be him losing touch mm-hmm. with his um, childhood, thinking that all those adventures that he had in the Seuss world was just in his head. I like that. I like that too. And we could even like bring it to an extreme of him having like seriously looking for like psychological help and stuff like this big thing and then like he feels like he's gotten cured and stuff because he no longer believes it's real and then it starts happening to him again like so like the first part of the movie would be like or the sequel or whatever would be like um him seeing this stuff and then thinking he's going crazy so he's trying to ignore it for like the first half or whatever he's he's not even trying to be part of it because it's just he doesn't want to he doesn't want to he's thinking he's having a breakdown he doesn't want to you know, go back to doing therapy or whatever the framing device of that would well, be. However, he um, 
enters the world, I think um, some like as a adult, like his kids will start seeing it, you know. Ooh, you know, just to mix the ideas. Sorry, I'm kind of geeking out here. But when he goes into the Dr. Seuss world, we can kind of mix our ideas there where that way he doesn't look so different. When he goes into the Dr. Seuss world where all the cartoon or the characters from the books would be like the original characters, cartoon and flat and stuff, and you'd still do maybe a CGI background just to add more depth and make it more feature link looking. But um, doing the like the hand drawing over the live action actor in a Dr. Seuss way to, to kind of maybe exaggerate or like take away the eye, um, the spacing between the white of the eye and the skin. Cause you know, Dr. Seuss was credit drawing. Actually he wasn't that good of a draw artist, but it worked, but it worked. Don't get me wrong. But if you're, if you're going to criticize him about like, detail and and technique it was unique though i will say that i don't want to talk shit on his art i really am not trying to say that it's just as far as like if you were going to start to try to copy someone else's drawings and stuff it wouldn't be too hard to draw the stuff he drew i got i got an idea like your idea is like i'm going to use that as a part of this stuff as a kid when he enters the world he looks like nor- like a regular um, Dr. Seuss character, so he'll be an animation. Oh, I think I see where you're going with this. That's because of his imagination, you know. And once he's an adult, when he enters it, he looks like he, like the drawn style from, like, A Scanner Darkly because the world is trying to combat his non-belief in what's going on, so it kind of gives it this um, off-kilter look to it. I love that. I love that. Um, to, to add on to that, I think it might not be a terrible idea. Like, right when he first enters the world, he no, no animation on at all. But as the, as the story progresses and he starts to get more and more into it, just slowly start adding in the hand drawn over the live actor. Never, never really drawing too much attention to it, but just kind of, I think that'd be a really good, like um, small detail to just slowly ease into to help like build the mentality that he's building without having to directly say it. Yeah. And then by the end, he kind of is almost full-blown animated like he was yeah. when he was a kid. His kids end up coming in there with him. Like, Yeah, that'd be cool, too. And you can make it modern where, like, Dr. Seuss isn't un- is unfortunately not being introduced to a lot of kids mm-hmm. nowadays. So, yeah. I mean, they are. He is, but, I mean, not really... <laughs> if, if he can stir the movies make it like uh, when he gets older he turns and he's more of a he becomes a teacher and he has a kid like he becomes like a science teacher or something like 
Yeah, and like part of his moral like way of showing that he's kind of lost touch with that is is that he's a little bit less of a, a he's he's not so nurturing to creative thought and stuff as as a teacher. He's one of those like strict kind of like yell at you for drawing in class oh, wait, and or he becomes a psychiatrist, so he's always analyzing his son or daughter. Because he thinks he's gone insane when he was younger with the quote unquote hallucinations. Yeah. And he feels like he's gotten past it, so it's become a passion of his to look into psychology to help other people with what he thinks he went through. So it'd be kind of a, a conflict of like what's insanity and what's reality and oof, that'd be kinda cool. That'd be Huh. I love that concept of, um, especially if if you could film it in a way where like the modern his world is kind of bleak and very gritty and realistic, like, and then slowly turn in. That'd be a good contrast, I think. Yeah, I like that idea. I would watch it. I don't know how we got from Tim Burton to Doctor Seuss so quick, but. The only problem with that is that you'd have to have a decent story for it to work. We came up with an outline, but there's like, why does how does he find the world in the first place? How old is he? Like maybe five or six at first, he stumbles onto the entrance, and he's and uh, he still lives in the same house when he's an adult that he was raised in and that's how his mm-hmm. kid is able to find it like it's an actual entrance and not a so kind of like Alice in Wonderland how she falls through the rabbit hole yeah yeah I like that I like that idea but I'm also not opposed to the concept of leaving it up to interpretation mm-hmm. Like still make still film it as though it's real, like a real place and stuff, but also never directly admit whether it is in his head or if it was, or if it's just like a metaphor for what Doctor Seuss was going for with his books of of you know nurturing creativity and and the entrance could be like Coraline, you know how she goes into the other world. Yeah. That like whenever I, somebody else looks at the door it I'm so, I'm sorry. I'm so, my first thought was uh being John Malkovich. So be like but I think it'd be like Coraline cuz you know how when she opens the door to show her parents it's all um it's bricked up. Oh, that makes sense where it's like it could either be that the world just closes itself out to other people, or it could be that he's, you know, it's in his head. So I think it should be like the Coraline, how it blocks off. So, like, okay, you don't know um, where, if it's in his head by the end of the first movie. He's been going through these adventures, and it kind of goes through his childhood. Yeah, I was going to say, um, if he did two movies, then... Yeah, let me know when you want me to talk. Well, go ahead. 
Um, if if you were gonna do two movies, then yeah, make it kind of end at that that point where he goes to show him the door and it's not there, and that gets kind of left up for interpretation. And in the sequel, it gets brought up. But if you made them both the first movie, you could probably do the first act as a kid, and it gets to that point. And then as he's growing up, that would be the um, the all is lost moment of him losing faith, growing into an adult, these different things, and, and dealing with you know, him thinking he was crazy as a kid, these different things. And then the kind of peak of the movie would be him going back there as an adult and seeing it and maybe seeing these stories resolve a little bit some or in, introduce them to new stories that really drive home the concept. Yeah, yeah, it probably could fit in one movie because movies are getting longer now. Yeah, and especially if like the whole Netflix thing becomes a thing because and theaters never do make a comeback. I know they're really trying, and I hope they do, because I love the theater experience, but I do know if you release a movie on like a streaming service, you don't have those time restrictions, because people can pause movies and come back to them, and don't, people don't mind long-running movies. Mm-hmm. Or or people are even getting into short series now, you know? like A little bit more. I mean people like the Stephen King short series, at least when they were on TV, because they thought they were going to be pretty good, but... Maybe he thinks he's insane because his parents start treating him like he's insane. So he does the same thing that his parents did to him, to his kid later on in the movie. Oh, I like that. I like that. Um, Make it so... Kind of like we were talking about earlier with the... um, if you went back and rewatched it, make it so the kid is suddenly expressing the same things like he did when he was a kid, but we don't see it because we're watching from the guy's point of view. Mm-hmm. And don't don't repeat some of the same things verbatim, but kind of the same concept where it it sounds like just a kid being an overimaginative kid, and then once gets revealed that it's there I mean I still like the idea of leaving it for interpretation a little bit but he starts sharing the, that's why he could share the illusion with his kids when his imagination opens back up when he, he starts finding that younger side of him but it still could be open to interpretation because the fact that a lot of mental disorders are genetic and he would be sharing the same kind of world with his kid yeah introducing him to the doctor. So he's kind of like, um, to bring it to a personal level, um, like how, like if I grew up or, or, um, such, we, we would introduce that kind of our, our childhood stuff to our kids, you know, like, uh, stuff that they wouldn't normally watch because of modern culture, but still holds up. Like, I can't imagine a lot of kids would independently find the secret of Nim, but God knows I'm going to show my kid that movie because it meant a lot to me when I was a kid or the original Land Before Time or pretty much anything John Booth did before uh, Troll in Central Park. Same thing could be said about like Mel Brooks movies and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. 
But you watch them yeah, now, I mean, and you're like, I watched this as a kid. <laughs> you still, you still didn't show it to your kid because you watched it as a kid, and you're like, it's fine. But there's a lot. Um, like I watched I just turned Blazing Saddles as I, a young kid, and me too. <laughs> I would just turn to my kid and say, this was progressive back then. It's still progressive. <laughs> it's still progressive, but most people wouldn't consider it. That, well, I don't want to be that guy. There's probably a huge group of people that still love Blazing Saddles. I still see references to it all the time. I like Blazing Saddles a lot. Hey, <laughs> I, I love most... Actually, I can't think of a Mel Brooks film I've seen that I didn't like. Either no... Yeah, he was a little bit old-timey, and I guess um, where culture is leading nowadays, it's not something a lot of people are into, but, you know, it's... People are hard on him about, like, you you know, his use of the N-word and Blazing Saddles, and... He didn't say it. He didn't say it. And, and he was right. <laughs> in fact, I was really got around from not saying it but um yeah but you also yeah, yeah. look at it who wrote it like richard Pryor wrote it oh, co-wrote oh, it. i actually did not know that yeah that's that's cool um he was really good friends with like richard Pryor and such but what i know about mel brooks is where it doesn't seem like a big deal nowadays um it it was really hard for an african-american actor to get a role that wasn't in a movie that was meant to be like a black exploitation film you know mm-hmm. it was like if, if you think about really any of the um a progressive and or not i don't want to say progressive but uh famous african-american actors and stuff a lot through the 80s and stuff i mean aside from horror movies being one of the first people that die it was always kind of a central theme around like oh this is a black neighborhood or this is a black you know subject and where blazing saddles did keep it in the time period of the old west of being make kind of poking fun how if there was a black sheriff this would be how they talked to him you know he did he did put a lot of effort into bringing up these stereotypes and making fun of them and a lot of people didn't do that back then a lot of people are like oh well african americans are this way so i think it's really important to to make fun of that stuff See, I agree. I 100% agree. They think it's because as many um, racist jokes as I've heard and all these different things, I have never met one stereotype that they really apply to. Yeah. And I, I think making fun of the stereotype, if you word the joke right and you make it clear that the joke is supposed to be making fun of the stereotype, I do think it is incredibly um healthy for our society to make fun of those ignorant thoughts that people generalize people in like people get upset when you turn things into jokes but uh, we'll compare like hold the whole nazi thing right Mm -hmm. so 
there's people that believe they're Nazis who really, really like the movie American History X. Which, yeah. that was supposed to be like, that was supposed to be a commentary on the fallacies of um, white supremacy, wasn't it? It's completely against it. But it's a serious movie about it, and somehow you could talk to anybody, anyone that believes that, that's probably one of their favorite movies. Yeah, 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 I know exactly what you mean. It's the same reason why people think... um, um, what was it? I mean, sorry, this is not as dramatic as a, an example, but uh, how often people watch Nightmare Before Christmas because it's like makes them feel like a gothic or well, a better example, um, a Repo and the Genetic Opera, mm-hmm. right? People say they're the biggest fans of that movie because it's fucking Paris Hilton gets her face cut off and all the gore and all these different things. But they completely miss the point of that movie, and it's it's the reliance. Well, at least what I got out of it was it's a reliance on corporation and how much you can let them influence your life. It was a really cool um, way of going about social manipulation and and how much control are you really going to let um, a corporation or some have over your life so much to the point in that example that it was life or death that if you didn't pay your debt they're just going to come take your organs but there was people were so obsessed with the artistic and stylistic choices of it that they in my opinion from how people express their joy for that movie completely misses the point well that's like nazis like really like american history x a lot of people mm-hmm. probably say it's their favorite movie, but you would never hear them singing Springtime for Hitler. And there's a reason <laughs> for that. Because it's really obvious yeah. that they're making fun of. Yeah, there's both, of, both of those things are against. But since one paints it in this, I don't want to say like stylized or romanticized version of it but yeah, it I'm pretty sure 90% of that movie is showing that your life is terrible if you're a skinhead yeah. well, but, but it does show a skinhead like beating the fuck out of people and mm-hmm. doing pull ups with a swastika tattoo and somehow they love this movie even though it's, it's against what they're standing for but something that's clearly making fun of them. Not just telling them they're wrong, but make, that's clearly making fun of them, treating them like they're stupid. And especially if you have a catchy tune, they don't like it. It's... No, it's, it's completely true. It's... I, I've always been like um, I've always been a firm believer of a lot what George Carlin says and I know it's I, I want to say it's a cliche but unfortunately I feel like from some of the people I've met he's fallen into obscurity lately and it makes me sad but um, 
I, I love, he said, it's, there's nothing wrong with jokes in, in and of themselves. I might be paraphrasing here a bit, but it's how you construct the joke. And to add to his point, and from what I think he meant a little bit, part of constructing your joke is knowing who your audience is. And that's why I think where I do like American History X, that was taken a little bit more seriously than Springtime for Hitler and the producers because... Mel Brooks knows his audience. Mel Brooks knows how cynical people who like him are, and he also knows that if he's going to be making a really messed up joke, it's not to be taken seriously. Know. You know, it's because like, um, the producers is early, um, early Mel Brooks. Well, no, uh, yeah, no, um, early Mel Brooks. Sorry, um. I was referring to the newer one, but um, you're right. He he directed the earlier one. I think the remake uh, someone else did, but he did make a cameo on the new one. Yeah, it's based off the play, based off of this movie. They made a music. Yeah. Well, but still, Springtime for Hitler, and that was, you know, the same as Springtime for Hitler in the original. It was just a little bit more theatrical because, like you said, it was based on a play. I, my point still stands, even way back then, with his earlier work, um, he knew his audience. He knew what would work. And it's like uh, the guy who played Kramer saying the N-word to the dude in the audience. The reason why I think that was so offensive and made such a big deal is because he he didn't know his audience. He didn't think that this joke won't work here. Because the most important part of the joke is who you're telling it to. Not so much anymore, but I get what you're saying. I still hold that. I still, and I mean, it's people forget that because of the internet, and you could just post whatever you want on there, and the joke will just go out. And if you're offended, then it's on you, kind of thing. Um, which I don't necessarily 100% disagree with, but it's. Uh, Still, in a situation where you're a stand-up comedian, these kind of things, uh, you can you can make a racist joke. Um, uh, Tosh, Daniel Tosh does it all the time, and he's famous for it. But people know what they're getting into when they watch Daniel Tosh. They know he's going to say something that's shocking and, and it's meant to, at least for him. And even if you're not a fan of Daniel Tosh, you can at least admit he's really good at building his character into people understanding, oh, he's going to say some crazy-ass shit. Um, but you don't go watch the guy who played Kramer. You're going to expect what he did, like in, obviously, Seinfeld or or um, Airheads or, you know, the other stuff he was in. I think a lot of it is, like, the more we make fun of um, bad things... I think the less bad things will end up like either you're able to look at it and find the light in the situation and realize that yes, these are terrible things but it's okay to have a laugh even in dark times. Mm is a good thing to know. And I think um, just like the difference between like the his, mis, 
there's people that glorify even if the movie is against what they stand for there's mm-hmm. people that will glorify it to the point where they revolve their life around being this character okay I think yeah I think I know what you mean like um like I brought up the other night how most films are supposed to be designed in a way for you to feel like some of the Blaine's Blake's like characters are meant for you to fill your shoes in so you can empathize with the story a little bit and um, some people might take that um, that role a little bit too far as they watch things, if I'm hearing you right. Yeah, right? They glorify it more. And I think a lot of it's because they also believe the thing that the main character believes in. Like if the main character is a rotten piece of shit. And they believe what that person believes. They kind of glorify it. So maybe not so much that people fill into the role, but a lot of people watch a film assuming that the main character is supposed to be the person you look up to. Sometimes, I think. When it's, when it's not always the case. Like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to necessarily look up to, like, uh, what's his fit? I can't remember his name, the character's name. I don't think it really gets brought up that much, the... Um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, you're not necessarily going to say he's a hero. (laughs) But... um, The Duke, or Brown Duke. Yeah, the Duke. Um, Which... What was the guy who wrote those books? He he also wrote um, The Room... Hunter S. Thompson. Diaries. Yeah, Hunter S. Thompson. Let's just face it. That's just Hunter S. Thompson in a Fisher hat. It's kind of like you. You're not supposed to um, glorify the stuff that, um, like Alex DeLarge does in A Clockwork Orange. Yeah, which I feel is used as a stylistic or um, a character building tool, but that was a whole different. Clockwork Orange is something we can do an entire episode on if we wanted to talk about that. I still hold that movie is a lot of movies that meant to be like deep and and uh, like hard to understand the first time you watch through, like Citizen Kane or Eraserhead or uh, those kind of movies. Um, typically, after a few watches, I mean they're still iconic for a reason. They're amazing movies. I love them. I mean. I mean, I, I still think, I mean, this is something people will get on me. I still think uh, Citizen Kane is a little overhyped, it's but um, it's a great movie. It's a great movie. It's just, I don't think it's as good as people say it is. I do, however, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. I do, however, think A Clockwork Orange, and the reason why I say I probably could do an entire episode on it is every time I've watched that movie, I have come up with a different meaning for it. And to me, the best films, at least how I prefer films that are like, not just, I watch this cause it's funny or I watch this cause it's scary that just really resonate with me are films that 
change as I do, like as my what's affecting me in life. I can relate to this film and see where it's coming up. And as terrible as some of the stuff, like you said, he does in that, and even though it does empathize, it does it in a way that every time I watch that movie, I find something a little bit about it that I just relate to in my life. And even if it's just like a minor thing, like that little, we all have a little Alexander DeLarge in us. We all have that little insane, just id that's trying to appease itself in the most sick ways, at least sick to us. And it's in its inhibitions and herb and stuff like that. Keep us from doing it. But the animalistic mentality it's it's healthy to think about sometimes. I really do think it is. But like I said, I can rant about that movie forever. Well, it's also yeah. like um, say like movies that you um, we're gonna move past the glorification of violence for violent people. But a movie that. <laughs> but why? Just kidding. A movie that I um, connect to more and more. The more I watch it as I get older is The Wall. Mm -hmm. The older I get, the more I feel more of a like connection to The Wall. No, I I agree with you. It's um it's been about a year or so since I watched that last. I I do love the movie and but Sorry, continue. I don't want to. I want. I want you to kind of elaborate on that point a little bit. That's interesting to me. All right, so, I'm trying to remember the first time I watched it. All right. Well, I was probably a teenager, or just becoming a teenager, when I first watched it. Yes, it had the depression issues and uh, stuff like that. So it was a just a weird movie that I like to watch, and as you get older, you understand not so much the craft of the movie, but what the movie is telling you. Because you start piecing together how what the song is telling you at the same time as you're watching Pink go through his go through the motions, and you watch like you watch um adult, you you understand more of what the wall is and you realize it's basically like you're building a wall in your head to protect yourself and he's done so much wrong to people by having this wall that he's forcing himself to tear it down and I mean basically like kills himself you know yeah, yeah. Um, uh, just to add to your point on that, um, one thing that came to mind, two things that came to mind um, when I rewatched it a while ago was um, one, that scene where he's in the scene asylum, he turns around with that big smile on his face, it contorted just... When I was a kid, when I first watched it, that scene just flew by. It meant nothing to me. But, um, like, my brother... Over the last, since he was 16, 
to like eight. No, sorry, he was closer to like seventeen, eighteen when it started happening. Has had um, regular, almost weekly basis um, seizures. He's been incredibly ep- epileptic, and he, he tries so hard to fix it and stuff. But like, he'll take a new medication, it goes away for a while, and it comes back. And through the last like almost. 11 years, 10 years around there. Um, there's been plenty of times I've, I've had to watch him go through his seizures and the contortion in his face. And it, and it's part of what helped me get into like human psychology and how the brain works and these different things. And that contortion and that acting and that smiling with pain behind it, I, I've seen it in my brother as he's seizing and that meant so much to me to see like to that depiction of him, you know, finally losing it or, or that he's just trapped in a room and, and trying his best to get out. And that expression of contortion and that smile to cover it up was something I could never appreciate when I was younger. And yeah, I completely agree. There's that movie is, does, generally keep just like i mentioned with the clockwork orange it, i can see how that keeps getting more and more meaning to you as you grow up like what i was saying like with the depression and stuff when you and me dealt with that a lot when we were younger mm-hmm. and when you first watch when we watch like law when we you just see him be depressed and kind of try to fix it and then just kind of lose it. And the older you get, you kind of see how be, what the thing that we saw, we saw we all, when we're older, we see how it affects everyone else around us. Also. So, kind of yeah. the older you get with that movie, it kind of opens different viewpoints because his mom is like super yeah. upset and wants to baby him he was like abused at school for wanting to be an artist and that that was actually my second point is I got it got to that scene where it starts I mean you've met my mom and like that I've I I had um I still respect everything she did for me growing up. We had a really hard time growing through some things, but, you know, she was a very coddling person at the same time in a a borderline, if not past abusive way. It wasn't always her fault. You know, we went through a hard time. It's, it's hard as a parent. I can't imagine, but it did, you know, it was a bit of abusive and that whole, um, just the song alone, Pink Floyd, um, Mother, uh, mother, yeah, the it was fantastic, but the, the way that they shot the scene around it too, it I I will admit that I don't get like cry emotional about most things, especially movies. Like movies will emotionally affect me, and I'll be like, oh, that's that's rough. I give me goosebumps, but that's one of the few scenes in a movie that, um. It, it's still I can't watch it and without just being like bawling my my ass off about it. It's 
it's it resonated with me a lot. A lot of that, yeah. Like a lot of that movie is like about being an adult after having one thing or a lot of things going wrong in your childhood, which I think everybody goes through. Not always technically Mm -hmm. abused or anything, but you might have people that don't believe in you or that more emotional abusiveness than like physical that yeah and then when you're an adult an adult because as your child you're processing and you're learning and if that's what you know and let's face it you you haven't really developed too much empathy as a kid either are you saying me (laughs) not you specifically the royal you I mean you never developed empathy. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's something else too. I've been thinking about as we've been having this conversation. Is it, do you think maybe that's part of it? Is like a kid, you're you, you're going through a lot of um, hormonal changes, and life is you're just discovering what life is, and uh, and. Maybe, maybe because you're so overwhelmed by these new emotions and this new way of looking at things that that the empathetic way of looking at those movies, the way that you're relating to them now, like him breaking down the wall and stuff, it was always there. But as a kid, you just you don't think of things through other people's points of view. So that's why those points maybe are missed on you when yeah. you're younger. That's just a that's just a hypothesis. No, no merit. It was just a random thought. <laughs> uh, I think only some movies are able to like kind of grow with you, and uh, it's not a it's not a very common um, thing in film. Usually it's, you like the movie, and that's how it is. But I think those two movies kind of grow with you if you've watched it at an early age. The movies kind of grow with you. You see different things as you get older. Because as much as I like um, Eraserhead, you brought that up, so I figured it. As much as I like Eraserhead, the more Mm -hmm. I watch it, it's not... I'm not noticing or feeling different things with it. I'm, it kind of just is. It kind of just exists what it is. And as much as I like it, it doesn't grow with you. It's complete. Or, um, what? Like, Zombie Lake is always going to be a shitty zombie movie, no matter how many times I watch it or the the older I get. Yeah. 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 It's the same thing. And I'm thinking, I was actually trying to look it up here. Um, as you were talking, my theory of why movies aren't just necessarily filmed that way anymore in a way that, you know, or is meant for it to grow and resonate with you as you rewatch it is because, 
from what I understand, a lot of the movies I found that were like that haven't been that profitable. Um, I was just looking it up with a Pink Floyd at about a $12 million budget and only made $22.2 million back, which, yeah, it, it almost doubled its... Uh, it almost doubled its its um, budget, but still, that's nothing like to write home about. That's not like something you're going to strive for as a director that's trying to make a money or big profit. you know. I think it takes a special filmmaker to make movies like that because it's mostly like Alan Parker or um, Kubrick. Or... Not to be a cliche, but Tarantino. I mean, say what you will about the guy. He, every single one of his movies is at least yeah, decent. Every, like he's decent, but I don't think any of the movies kind of resonate with you like a like a Stanley Kubrick movie. Like even two thousand one, it kind of yeah. Even that close with you as. You get older. Hashtag AI was a Kubrick movie. Shots fired! Just kidding. I know it wasn't technically. <laughs> or, uh, or even Monster no. Python and the Mating of Life. They're kind of like... Some parts of that movie you only truly get once you... Mm. Most Monty Python, I feel like you, it, everyone bashes it for its immaturity and such, but <laughs> there's so much behind it. Like, one of the most underrated films, in my opinion, is The Life of Brian. I I love that movie. It, it took so many jabs at, like, biblical like, standpoints and stuff without directly saying anyone religion's wrong <laughs> and i thought i thought how they went about it is hilarious like, like that one scene where they're just like what was it um again maybe paraphrasing a little bit where it's just like i'm not the messiah only the messiah would decline his own divinity and he's like what kind of fucking chance does that give me <laughs> Oh, okay. That's still one of my favorite jokes. I love that. I love that scene. Like even with all the immature jokes, there was a lot of deep jokes as well. Like even in Many a Life, where they sing a song about how every sperm is sacred. When you actually mm-hmm. notice when they're singing, and they have all those kids come. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I uh, I've been making fun of my friend because uh, <laughs> uh, I think it, oh shit, I don't remember who, who it was. Um, oh, it was my buddy Brickell. She already has two kids. She's younger. Um, and she for the longest time was uh complaining that she didn't want any more kids. It's like oh, this has been so hard because she's trying to raise them and then she's talking about now I was she was talking to me about having another kid so I just sent her a, 
a gif from that scene of all the kids popping out. I'm like, this is going to be you in the future. <laughs> Every sperm is safe. Or like the... Oh, I can't get over it. It's from um, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox movie. Another... I will admit that movie kind of ran longer than it should, but if you're looking for one of those kind of... I can't refer to him anything else other than Will Farrow's Happy Madison. <laughs> well, yeah, it's but, like, um, the thing is that I really don't like Tyler Data Nights, but I really like Walkhard. I, I loved Walkhard because I think Walkhard did a lot more of making fun of those, like how musician movies are made. Yeah, it was like a combination and, of like Great Balls of Fire, um, Ray, Walk the Line. I'm sorry, but it, it I know it was made beforehand, but you could totally t- add like a Rocket Man and stuff in there too. I haven't seen that. I was wanting to see it. Um, it's okay. It's I love Elton John. I think he's an amazing artist, and I have no doubt that he's an amazingly awesome person in real life. I mean, I want to believe that, okay? And just let me have this. But <laughs> let me have this. There's nothing wrong with me living in this ignorance. <laughs> um, but. I, mean, I like what yeah, he did for film. Not so much sleep with a 14-year-old. Just... I don't question the logistics of Greek mythology, and I, I just appreciate the stories, okay? <laughs> All right. So you, wanna, you want to um, make believe that... Um... Oh, and John was there. Well, now any point I have just seems no, defused. No, yeah, asshole. <laughs> but I was just saying, they spent the most of the movie, in my opinion, just kind of blowing smoke up his ass and, and saying that he's the next thing, next to, you know, the next Messiah, which I love most of Elton John's songs. That's why I love him. I know he doesn't write a lot of them, but he's an amazing singer and he's an amazing piano player. And he definitely knows how to put on a show. So it's like, I just, if that's the main difference between uh, like a musical biopic about something that's still alive and musical biopic of something that's been dead. Yeah. Um, Cause did you watch um, Bohemian Rhapsody? No, I haven't seen that one. It's not a Frick, it's not a Freddie Mercury movie, like what we were supposed to get. It's more, it's more Is about it? the rest of the band, and they don't paint Freddie Mercury in the best light because he's dead and they're not. <laughs> I um. What's the the dirt? Oh, the Motley Crue movie and stuff like that that they made. I was never a big Motley Crue fan either, but 
some parts in the movie. Well, it wasn't. No, they're kind of just. Yeah, why can't? Why can't movies based on famous people just be as good and accurate as Wired? <laughs> yeah, that's the way you want to see John Belushi go out. Let's go have a fucking sushi says <laughs> fucking sushi chef eating his intestines, cooking his intestines while he's still alive. That's God damn. That movie was horrible. I will admit I watched the uh, Cinema Snob review of it, but this was like I seen it came up, and I've always always loved um, Belushi. I, I don't, his comedy. It's like a, I looked at him as more of a punk rock Andy Kaufman. Like it was he, he loved that just shock and weird out kind of humor, and I thought that was genius. I, I love that shit. Uh, I, I, I agree with the sentiment, but I still feel like that wasn't enough to do Andy Kaufman yeah, justice. Or I watched the, did you watch the behind the, um, the um, Jim Carrey documentary about how, what he did during the movie making? I did. Um, I really, if, if it was true, I really do respect Jim Carrey for, I'm not going to say I believe that he fully was Andy Kaufman or anything, but even with how wackadoo Jim Carrey can be, he does not everything he does and says is completely without merit. And I do think he, he generally did everything in his power to fill the headspace of Andy yeah, Kaufman. I really do. Filling the headspace of the Andy Kaufman that, people saw because that we did have a friendship with that wrestler and it wasn't just we hate each mm-hmm. other it was an actual like more of a point and jabs I at do, each other I do think they um address that a little well, bit they in address the, uh, well in the documentary I guess Jim Carrey was being like a total dick to this dude like the real guy, and he's like, you know, we were. Friends. Oh, I see what you're saying. Me and me, <laughs> the person you're playing, we're friends. We, we, um, like, I don't know why you're um, being such a dick to me. Okay, okay, yeah, I, I was, I was thinking of the movie. I actually missed that part. I did. I, but that actually makes a lot of sense because, from my understanding, they were good friends. But to be honest, as much as I liked Man on the Moon and I did like Jim Carrey's portrayal of Andy Kaufman, um, the one statement that came from that movie that I believe was the only thing that truly fit Andy Kaufman was no one knows who Andy Kaufman was, not even he. He was... He he had a really particular way, and then um, the other scene where, because I I I'm love Andy Kaufman, and I I I've watched Heartbeat beeps like three, four, five times, and that's more than anyone should ever watch that movie. But <laughs> and even he hated that movie, but I don't care. I love it if you watch it as like a troll movie. But um, the scene where at the end of of uh, 
Man on the Moon where he buys everyone hot chocolate and stuff. I believe he actually um, he had everyone do it, but then he took everyone out and just he invited people to come. Oh God, I'm gonna rebring up this story because I want to do it justice, and I don't have like the story in front of me, so I'll bring up this story on an, like another episode because I don't want to paraphrase it. It was yeah. really cool. I think I remember what you're talking about too. So. Yeah, I'll um if if we're gonna do that uh recording tomorrow um I definitely definitely want to bring up that story even if we if it's a little bit off topic because it it's one of my favorite stories about any comedian actor because Andy Kaufman I, I again I no one knew who he was in my opinion but just that level of insanity that level of being more interested in guiding how an act or performance and an emotional reaction is that was in from what it seemed to be more interesting to him than actually the punchline or the joke itself i have so much respect for that because the world is insanity, and all sanity is us doing is trying to desperately make sense of something that doesn't make sense. Very true. And not to get all Aristotle on you. A little bit of Socrates. I don't know. <laughs> Shh. If you don't correct me, I'm not stupid. Correct you. <laughs> so, I'm just naturally stupid. Um, all right, so another director I don't like. <laughs> you know, this is going to happen a lot. I hope you know that. <laughs> Do you listen to some of the earlier episodes of this with, uh, me and Jeff. I haven't. I haven't got a chance to go through them yet. No, we'll be I've, I've been wanting to. And all of a sudden, we're bitching about like Michael Bay. <laughs> so it's kind of like this. <laughs> I'm. I'm. I'm content with that. <laughs> and this is also like somebody that's. He, he's made a couple good movies. Or maybe it's not a director I don't know. Maybe Alright, let's do um most overrated director. So you could like it, you could dislike him, but just like who do you think is overrated? Uh that's hard. I mean, the obvious answer would be like J.J. Abram, or uh, that's probably something a lot of people feel. But I'm gonna actually say something. Um, that's okay. I don't mean this so harshly in the sense that I think he is a terrible director. He's far from it. He's a really good director. I just think he's a little. I I think he is the most overrated because I think the most people 
generally say he's an amazing director mm-hmm. by default, and it's got to be Steven Spielberg. I I love Jaws. I love Jurassic Park. Yeah. I love these things, but he Indiana Jones. He he did well with those things, but if 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 it wasn't for kind of like the how big he did it, how like how amazing that T Rex was when he first came out, or how Jaws was, uh, how he filmed it in a way that you didn't see the shark and it was suspenseful. Most of that was, most of Jaws anyways, with him working with restrictions and such, but I don't necessarily think that his directing style is really too profound. It's not, it's not awesome. It's not something that necessarily deserved as much attention as it got. Jurassic Park was good because the CGI and how amazing the T-Rex looked for that time and and the animatronics and, yeah, like, um, I mean, the T-Rex was uh, CGI. Parts of it, even back when it first came out. Mostly, it was a... I think it has a really good balance between the two. The first one did, anyways. Yeah. Um. But yeah, okay, really good point. But that's again, that's not necessarily. I don't think a lot of those strong elements of those movies weren't necessarily because of his directing. They were because maybe he knew like how to use the technology and where to put it and stuff like a good director does and such, but it wouldn't meant nothing if, you know, those people working on the animatronics didn't put those kinds of level of detail into it. And I mean, people go back to watch independence day. And when that first came out, it was a mind blowingly good movie. But now that you watch and the, the special effects are a little bit dated and stuff. Independence Day was, as I watch it now, yeah. I think it just kind of row on the. It, it, he's really good at riding on the shoe to hell. Ronald Emmerich, sh- or, well, I could have sourced that Spielberg had a uh, director credit on that. Maybe I'm wrong. Hold on. I might be wrong too. So. But yeah, I agree with you. Um, Spielberg I, is. Um, pretty overrated and they do like he has put out good movies like Schindler's List and like E.T. I mean again the same thing could be said about E.T. though like I mean that animatronic and the puppetry and that was it was decent it was really good if you took that away you just get another Mac and me right. I think as a director, he is really overrated, like you say. And I, but I do believe he did a lot of um, good for, um, like, when he produced all those cartoons back in the day, like Freakazoid mm-hmm. and um, like the um, Animaniacs stuff like that. I think he did a. I think. 
I don't know if he ever directed any of those. I do know yeah, he had a producer. He did really good at like producing those cartoons. Like he did the stuff he did, like getting that out. I think is more impressive than his directive style. If that makes sense, like the stuff that he set up, pushed, got through, and helped create like those cartoons and stuff I think are better than almost any of his movies yeah I, I, I'll i agree um, that's one thing I couldn't cast age on him he is probably one of the best producers like the stuff he's produced is I, I can't see too many um, especially the cartoons and stuff that a lot of us grew up on um, Animaniacs, Freakazoid, uh, even Tiny Toons, even though it wasn't my jam, is pretty mm-hmm. freaking funny. Pinky and the Brain. Pinky and the Brain, yeah. Um, but I, I just... Well, to bring back the joke of AI being a Stanley Kubrick movie, like, I, I do say if Stanley Kubrick was alive when that movie came out, it probably lot better than it was aside from the fact that the ending was his idea but you have another choice um it was J.J. Abram sorry I know I should know this um was it J.J. Abram or uh Zack Snyder that directed uh or who directed Titanic James again? Cameron. Sorry. James Cameron. Why? I was trying to think of that, but I wasn't going to say anything because I messed up enough people's names by tonight. Um, James Cameron. Uh, just because, personally speaking, I can't think of one movie of his I actually did like. I didn't think Titanic was that good of a movie. Terminator? I did like Terminator. I just... <sighs> I honestly didn't know he directed that. (laughs) I honestly didn't. (laughs) Well, no. (laughs) I I didn't like Piranha 1. (laughs) Or, I, okay, like, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, best Terminator movie, yeah. Still going to hold that. I think he's an overrated director because, again, I'm going back to my statement of consistently good work. And from what I've seen or what I guess I know him in, I just I can't say there was too much I, I can be like, oh, I love that movie. And I'll be perfectly honest with you, as much as I did like the Terminator movies, they weren't necessarily my favorites. I can like, understand that. I do believe the Terminator movies that he did, like one and two, and um, Aliens, I really did like those. But when you get into like Titanic and um, what the Avatar movies. Yeah. 
the just the one Avatar movie that feels like you're watching two Avatar oh, movies. To have this, uh, there's going to be like six movies. Um, I don't know if it's actually going to be six, but there's supposed to be a few of them. Yeah. Really? <laughs> oh, I didn't know he was even doing another one. I thought he was still uh, in the bathroom masturbating about the first one. He's, um, well, I don't know how far he's in it. It's been said he's going to be good. Um, I don't know what else. I keep forgetting what else he's done. Like, the Terminator. <laughs> Screw it. Screw it. Let's just start making sequels to Titanic. I don't know how you do it. Let's just do it. They dig the boat up and try to should, <laughs> try to like sell it again. It's very pretty, but I don't like it. <laughs> we need we need Titanic eight. <laughs> Ice happening again. <laughs> And the acting is decent. And a lot of the stuff is in period. Like, it looks like it should look. Mm-hmm. I'll give him that. And, of course, Leo. <laughs> for the movie itself. It's not my thing. I just... um. I, I, it's like, um, Avatar. I loved, loved, loved the, the look of it. And if I, I watched Avatar in the theaters and it, it felt big, it felt like a crazy, crazy, big, well, CGI, you know, um, even well acted at certain parts kind of movie, but that's really like, I don't know. It, it felt felt like you've seen it before. It felt like he had a really good idea. You felt, yeah, it felt like he had a really good, like, idea and, and thing that he wanted to show off, but he didn't build much around it. And Titanic, where I love the concept that he came up with two characters to kind of live through it and, and show the emotion behind it and stuff, it didn't take that long to, like, it shouldn't have mm-hmm. taken that long. Shouldn't have been. I, mean, I don't know if a lot of people remember when you bought that movie on VHS. What came in like, what was it like two or three? Yeah, and I'm like, that's a little ridiculous for you know, a story that should have should have been told in a normal runtime. It and. We didn't need to know that much about the two main characters, especially since they were false. That movie should have been a lot, to a worse extent, Pearl Harbor. It focused way too much. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying Titanic is as bad as Pearl Harbor was, but ninety percent of Pearl Harbor wasn't even about fucking planes attacking the boats, like. You watch a Titanic movie, how cool would it have been if you figured out what the hell the story of that violinist who drowned with his team? Or, like, what's that story that wasn't even in there? There was this uh, cook that's happened in real life who survived. And the only reason he survived, he felt the boat sinking. He got up. He was drunk off his ass because he was a slosh. He was drunk off his ass. And this is a true story. He ran through the ship and helped 
women and children on the lifeboat, even pulling some people off, like men off the lifeboat because they were being dicks and fucking like rich people and trying to steal the positions for the from the women and the children. And yeah, it's just a general act of chivalry at the time. But at the end, he didn't even get in a lifeboat. He decided, well, I, they're all full. I helped everyone. He went back to his room, drank more. And as the ship started going down, he went to the top helm of the ship, the last part to go in, and just held in. And because he drank so much, his body stayed uh, his body stayed calm enough long enough for a rescue ship to save him. And they ended up putting him in an oven to warm him up. I'm saying this because wouldn't that have been such a better story to focus on than just some love story you made up to shoehorn into the story? The Titanic. Get drunk when the ship. (laughs) I mean, I wasn't trying to make that point, but it was still a more interesting story. And he was—he literally just—he stood on the top of the ship. He was the last person in the water as the ship went down. But see, I think they should do that story and then do a sequel called the Titanic. Which also went down. Um, I I will admit my ignorance. Yeah, I, I could be wrong, but I think the Titanic did go down because it was um, there was supposedly I, I read it in some ghost story thing. There's supposedly a curse on anything taking the name of the Titanic or whatever. Oh, okay. So kind of like the superstition of like the, what was it? Like how some buildings don't have like a 16th floor or whatever it is. um, So I think there was a second ship and it went down. 14. So um, that would be... That would be an interesting story. You could have the the story of the, and find uh, like kind of a similar story or follow somebody else on the other ship. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or hell, um, don't even call it the Titanic. Film, film what happened after it went down. Like, the people were in that water for God knows how long. I, I don't know off the top of my head, but I remember it was a ridiculously long period of time. And, like, the psychological effects afterwards and the really do it justice. Again, I, I know it's not as bad as Pearl Harbor, but it kind of suffers from the same... Um, point is that is yeah like really screwed up stuff or like how like fucking Pearl Harbor not to bring it up it was a terrible thing but there's stories about people like them on the bottom of the ships trying to cut them open while they're hearing people banging and stuff trying to get them out and where that's not something anyone wants to relive, but if you're going to do a justification of a tragic event, you need to remember those people. You need to show, like, 
that it was a terrible thing. It wasn't just a tragic romance story or or an action movie. Yeah, it was like, oh, I, I'm not going to show all those f- poor people who, who generally had issues, but I'm totally going to show an American flag floating in the ocean with bullet holes through it because I'm Michael Bay and I'm American and America's great. And that wasn't the point of Pearl Harbor. That wasn't the point of the tragedy, and that wasn't the moral you should take from it. Have you seen Threads? Threads. Reds? It's, um, uh-uh. I haven't. It's fucking depressing as hell, but it's based on a... Not based on, but it's, it's a fake nuclear attack in Britain. So you kind of follow mm-hmm. a couple people up until like because in they kind of tell you all through the time that there might be an attack that the usa is talking yeah. about talking to russia because this is when it was made in the russians and that the u.s is telling the russians to get out of a certain place and the russians aren't liking that and all, all you hear is like you're following these people but it's just like in the background noise because no one's paying attention to it. And then it starts getting more and more like people are protesting. People are um, going, hey, we we need to do something about this. And then it starts to get more serious because Russia's getting more mad. You know, and it kind of like slowly takes you through. And, um, Hmm. Then they have the thing where um, they're yeah. setting up the leaders to go to the spacement. Not leaders, but chairmen to. So whenever it's over, they can help regulate um, things in the after, like afterwards, to rebuild society. Yeah. And. Um, and they still don't believe anything's going to happen while they're doing this. They're just kind of going through the motions. He's telling his wife that, yeah, there's just precaution. Nothing's going to happen. Everything's going to be fine. And then the bomb jobs. <clears throat> and damn, this is just like the first part of the movie. It's the don't. <laughs> oh. oh. Okay, yeah, no, leave leave it at that because I do. That actually sounds really good. Reds. It's called Red. Reds. Okay, I'm gonna check that out. That sounds. I'm kind of getting like um. Um, what was it? I guess uh, the liar. Remember that with a. Uh, um, Robin Williams and World War. They do it kind of like in a biopic um, um, style. So, when the bomb hits, we okay. have all the people like holding, trying to put mattresses up on the up against things, and and it blows out all the windows, and then like in um, what would actually then a big fire happens, like it takes you through everything during this bombing, and that. Like, okay. fucked up as well. 
but yeah, again, it shows you yeah. it shows you the people. It shows you it shows you the tragedy of it. It's not trying to turn it into a cliche movie featuring this tragic well, event. Oh, yeah, that's what I mean, like, tragic event. Still, it's referring to it, even though it's fiction. They go through the bombing part, and how, because I think they dropped a couple bombs, so, and then it's the ash. Ash is falling, and the people are listening on, the people that survived, that were able to be protected under their makeshift um, barricades and stuff, they're listening. They're told not to go outside, but people don't have enough food because people bought up, like, stole all the food from the grocery stores and stuff before, like, right before it happened. And um, they said, "Well, you can't. You have to wait for the ash." There's some places that aren't as bad. Then you have the group of leaders. By this time, like, maybe a couple of them are dead because the their little basement thing caved in. And it like focuses on stirring, but then it keeps going, and it, then it focuses on after the the apocalypse. So it's people trying to rebuild society, people trying to get the government giving people food, but not enough food, and then and it goes through the whole thing. And how, like, by this time, most people don't know how to speak anymore. And um, some of their education is just old, like, old um, tapes that don't play right from before the bomb. And these kids were raised in the time before there was no school, so they don't really know how to talk anymore. I like that. All right, I'm gonna definitely check that out. Um, I think I gotta call it here. If that's cool, I'm gonna have to edit this stuff together. <laughs> All right. Well, um, definitely down to record something tomorrow. I think we have a good idea with that. I'm excited about honestly talking to you about that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's. The, the bit I've seen of it so far is fantastic. Um, right, so, um, freaking, yeah. Anyways, I I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm not gonna say anything about it now. But well, we're gonna talk about the lobster, maybe, yeah. and some other it's, stuff. It's, maybe we can squeeze in another movie. Yep. <laughs> We'll talk about it tomorrow a bit too. Um, we'll see if we can add a little bit something else on there. But I, I already know I'm gonna have a lot to say about that movie. I mean, um, he did another movie called "The Killing of the Sacred Deer" that's also on Netflix. It's it's not. I haven't seen good, that. And it's fucking awkward as hell, but it's decent. It's not as good as the Lobster though. So. All right, well, thanks for having me on. You too.